Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of three issues for just £5. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. Hello and welcome to The Critic podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by Jonathan Isby and Caroline Fisk where we're discussing what the point of Tory party conferences. Jonathan Isaby uh, has recently been appointed the director of the Politea think tank. Um, he's previously worked at the BBC, The Telegraph, Conservative Home, Brexit Central. Have, have I missed any there, Jonathan? Taxpayers Alliance. Taxpayers Alliance, he was ahead of. Um, and Caroline Fisk has uh, been a Conservative councillor twice for eight years, and she's run a Conservative party office, which was Hammersmith and Fulham. Uh, welcome to you as well, Caroline. Um, Caroline, if I could uh, just start with you. You've been to a uh, Conservative Party conference, uh, is it four times? Yes, yeah. And, and you've been twice back in the old twice days. Twice in the old days, where it was Blackpool and Bournemouth, and twice in a much sort of newer era, and I'll say more modern era, where it's been much more sort of corporate, in Manchester and Birmingham. And what have you noticed? What's the difference between those two? I think actually there's quite a, a stark difference. In Blackpool, everybody stayed in absolutely beaten up old bed and breakfasts. Um, there was quite an atmosphere about that, actually crusty old bed and breakfasts where the um, towel rails were on your head. Um, it actually meant you saw the local community, you went to local cafes, you went to local pubs maybe on your way home. Suddenly, I would say in, um, I'm slightly exaggerating to make a point, but in Manchester, I stayed in a very expensive hotel one minute from the conference centre. It was a bit like being on a Mark Warner holiday. I never left the compound. So, you know, I actually think quite a difference there. It's become quite corporate. In the past, it used to be <laughs> very almost sort of faulty towers and in its atmosphere in some ways. So you think it's lost some of the charm? That yeah, it I think about. it's lost some of the charm. And actually, I think it was fantastic for all those towns. And I, I'm sure maybe Jonathan knows what, what was the decision and why. Um, we were in these you know, old seaside towns. We were bringing a lot of money and a lot of life to them, you know, just for one weekend. I'm not sure why the decision was made to move away from those towns. Jonathan, you might have a slightly different view on, on conference. Do you think it's lost its charm over the last few years? Oh, there's no doubt that the atmosphere around it has changed over time. I mean, I've basically uh, been going to party conferences of various political parties uh, for 20 years, basically. I mean, the first one I ever went to was the Conservative Conference in Blackpool in 1997, uh, when I was still a student. Uh, and then it, then David Car- it was under David Cameron's leadership that they decided to go towards the city venues in the kind of late 2000s, towards Manchester and Birmingham. And I think part of it was David Cameron wanting to change the Conservative Party's brand and move away from these you know, twee traditional venues to being more urban and metropolitan, um, which, uh, which I think, I fear, put off some of the older Tory party members. I dare say many older Tory party members probably actually quite enjoyed going to the seaside venues and going to a no-frills B&B that was pretty affordable uh, and it was what they were used to. And you know, certainly I think a lot have been put off by the idea of going to a, a city where the sense is that the accommodation would be a lot more expensive and the atmosphere would be very different. Although at the same time, no, those, those those city venues are uh, are not at all something that would put off 
the kind of more corporate types and you know certainly in terms of the the kind of demographic of the number of people attending the conference you know that I think there's a far bigger chunk of you know corporate attendees businesses lobbyists today than there would have been you know 20 years ago you know which has changed the nature of the conference it's changed the nature of a lot of the fringe meetings which are on very niche corporate issues where basically the room is full of lobbyists for you know different businesses within that area rather than party members who've got an interest in that particular domain do we need a physical conference i mean I, one criticism i spoke to somebody this week about it and they said it's an opportunity for lobbyists to meet people um, who they could have met in London. Caroline, what do you think the, um, you know, is there a, a need for a physical presence? Yes, and once again I'm totally coming from the sort of angle of membership and not coming from the angle of how policy is made and how governments set their priorities. So from the angle of membership I can honestly attest to the sort of, you know, excitement as conference era or sorry conference month approached and just sort of local activists you know talking excitedly about the conference was coming up it was great fun um, as Jonathan I think would say huge opportunity for members to meet each other and build networks but honestly the social element I think is just enormously important opportunities for young people to meet each other and honestly where I come from Hammersmith and Fulham lots of older Tories and you know what struck me was they weren't particularly political. I was always astonished to meet people in the Conservative Party who weren't political. And you could sort of tell that, you know, 20, 30 years ago they'd joined the Conservative Party because there were people like them and it was very social. And actually people so much need that, don't they? Opportunities to meet each other. So I think the importance of conference is, if anything, greater than it ever was before. Opportunities for people to meet. I, I agree, it's a very social occasion and a lot of people who go to the party conference will not actually step foot in the main conference hall where the ministers and the mm. politicians are speaking. It's about what happens uh, at the fringe meetings and in the bars uh, and at the social events and the receptions. and. You know, a lot of you know, you'll get a lot of people from corporate world who go to conference and will try and fill their diary up with meetings, as you say, with people who they could be meeting back in London, where most of them are based all the time. I mean, there's there's a sense that you can meet a politician, certainly a minister, without the civil service entourage, which you would probably have in London, which may be advantageous on on both sides. But for the most part. You know, I've always t taken the view in the various roles I've done, you know, both as a journalist and in, in think tank world, uh, that filling your diary with meetings isn't a very sensible thing to do in advance. It's far better to see who you bump into, you know, renew old friendships, make new friendships and contacts, and uh, which can then, you know, relationships can, can bloom uh, you know, professionally thereafter uh, and you know that's one of the things that I have hugely missed about there not being physical party conferences this year that you know those those people that you you know might just only bump into once a year at the conference you haven't been able to touch base with them um, uh, you know and 
say those, those those personal relationships are very important, and you know even even um, you know in the, in the current COVID context, um, the the way those of us in think tank world and journalism doing our job has changed because you know you're you're not wandering around Westminster bumping into people mm. all the time because fewer people are around, and it it it, change, it changes the way we're working. But that's probably a debate for another day. Uh, something about, yes, the importance of conference. So as a local councillor, I must have over the years literally knocked on thousands of doors and spoken to thousands of people, many of them people in social housing. Um, and so often on the doorstep, people would, you know, just regard politics as so remote. Um, you know, we're a democracy sort of only in name. You know, we, we get to vote. Um, very occasionally and I would just feel so sad I would sort of want to say gosh if only more people were involved in the in the parties I would like to have been able to tell them that you know if you go to the Conservative Party conference seriously every day you bump into Conservative MPs and ministers and bars and after sessions and you can walk up to them and you can sort of novel them for five minutes and you know they'll listen to you seriously and it's actually very egalitarian and you know you, you realize that you can actually any person in this country who wants to can join a political party and you know I don't want to pretend they're particularly close to policy all the time but you know they can be so close to politicians and they can so easily involve themselves in the political process and the um, policy making process and conference is just a great opportunity for people to see that in action and to see hundreds of activists, hundreds of young people and old people talking to MPs just as equals in bars after meetings. And that's so important for the functioning of our democracy. But it's interesting what you say about, you no, know, we're not pretending that the, the you know, you can kind of, you're, you're part of the policy formation process by being a Tory party member who goes to the party conference. Of course, that's one of the big differences between the different political parties because um, the Liberal Democrats still, for them, their party conference is the body that makes the policy of the party and they have a conference in the autumn and the spring, both of which, you know, hold debates and hold votes where, you know, policies are decided which define the, the, what that party does. The Labour Party used to do that, although effectively the, the Blair reforms diluted that and mm -hmm. there, I mean there's now a national policy forum but the, the, the idea that you can have a vote at conference that defines Labour policies is now not really there, whereas the Conservative Party has never really yeah. done this. I mean I, yeah. up, until, up until 99 <coughs> or 2000 you had this veneer of democracy because you would have these so-called debates at the party conference where there'd be a, a kind of motion congratulating the Conservative leader on doing something or other in some particular area of policy. And, you know, there'd, there'd be a, a, a vote to endorse this motion, which no one would ever oppose because it wasn't actually saying anything. But then even, even that, the, the veneer of debate was then abolished um, around the turn of the century. Uh, and so the, the conference floor just became a, a showcase for the politicians to, to make speeches and 
know, force you know, those who the the party party hierarchy wanted to give a platform to either among yes. potential candidates or people from business or the charitable sector who they wanted to promote Can I in some ask way. You, Jonathan, so one thing I thought I noticed and wasn't sure was twelve years ago was the day you know, some complete ordinary person would suddenly be up there in front of the whole conference. And for example, that's how Catherine Berbelsing she was just a sort of I mean, that changed her life to step up on the platform at the heart of the Conservative Party conference. So Catherine Burblesing is the headmistress of Michaela School, and it's a very, very traditional school. And it only came about through the, um, the free schools movement and through Michael Gove. And I think the Conservatives were just sleeping, and all of a sudden, here was this woman, a black woman, up on stage at the centre of the Conservative Party conference, saying, we absolutely want traditional values being taught in our schools. You know, you are meant to be the traditional values party. You're asleep. I mean, she, she, would have got to, she would have got to have done that because someone would have thought, oh, here's someone interesting who's sympathetic to us, who we can put on the stage and give that platform but to. My question is, the last two times I went, nothing <laughs> I mean, fresh. Am I, I wrong there? I mean, no, they, they still have been putting quite a lot of external speakers onto the platform, um, you know, who are, you know, in, in their view, pushing interesting ideas. Back in the day, when you had this veneer of debate, party members would put in a slip to the speaker's table to try and intervene in the debate. And, you know, famously in 1977, William Hague, aged 16, put in his slip and got to go up and do his his two or three minutes, uh, which gave him infamy. Um, but again, over time, it became very much a case of you know, screening who they wanted to give that platform to. And even if you put a slip in, you know, if you if you weren't favoured by the party hierarchy, then you were you were unlikely to to get a say. But you seem to be like you, I, I get the impression that you're saying. There used to be a veneer, now there's nothing. Are you suggesting we should go back to involving members more in policy making, much more directly? I, I think it's a good and healthy thing for political parties, any political party, to have internal debate about its direction. And, you know, if, if you join a political party, then surely it's because you. Know, believe in its values and want to influence the direction in which Listen, it goes. I mean, honestly, since I've been involved, um, which is probably just 15 years, literally, I think by the time I turned up, I understood there was no opportunity to influence policy. I mean, that's pretty tragic, isn't it? So if there was a way back to robustly involving the membership in policy debate, I mean, honestly, mm. where is it? Mm. I see policy being made as at focus groups now. I don't really know. Why on the front page of the Times yesterday was it all about wind farms in the middle of a coronavirus crisis? Well, because um, that's, the, that's the line that the Prime Minister's press people briefed out to the media as the message they wanted on the front pages. Yeah, but where day. did that come from? Who, who thought that that would sort of have the country going great, you know, in the middle of the coronavirus? Reading about wind farms on the front page of the Times is going to make me vote Conservative. So do you think time then, around. if there was more of a link between the Conservative Party members, if they had more of a say in policy direction, uh, that the government now would be 
more in touch with what people wanted and kind of uh, less of these arbitrary rules on coronavirus and yeah really i do do you agree with that jonathan as i say i think any any party members trying to have more influence over their party's policy direction is is a healthy thing and a good thing and say looking at the the the, the conservative party in particular um, there do seem few opportunities for party members to, to have that say. No, but then at the same time, you know, there is a vibrant world of think tanks out there. Obviously, I'm the director of Politaire as a think tank, which is producing policy ideas and you know, hosting events where people uh, can get involved in discussing the kind of ideas and policy directions that they, they want um, public policy to go in. Um, and you know, if, if the Conservative Party isn't willing to provide its members with a with a forum for doing so, then obviously others can fill that niche. One of the things about the virtual conference that uh, I don't know if it's still going on, it's just finished at least, uh, that I noticed was there was no there was no spontaneity, there was no chance of anything interesting to happen. And conferences have been used in the past. Uh, I mean, by politicians quite skillfully to be able to promote themselves. Uh, you know, you think of David Cameron in um, 2005 when he, he did his, delivered his speech without notes and, you know, all the journalists there that are hungry to write something interesting that's not just, you know, a, a kind of, um, you know, what the party want them to, to write. That propelled him forward in a way and, and he, he springboarded himself off conference to be able to win the leadership. Do you, do, you know, do you, can you think of any other notable events where um, things have changed in a way that the party haven't stage managed? Well, I mean, the obviously, you know, by people delivering speeches via YouTube, you get absolutely no audience reactions. There's no sense of how the membership are feeling. And Boris Johnson told us how how what would have happened <laughs> well, in, in, in the virtual conference. He would in, have um, he would have had cheers. Wouldn't he? Indeed, and it's interesting that you know he's. I mean, his his style is very much aimed at exciting an audience to get a reaction and. You know, delivering that kind of speech, you know, just down the ballot of a camera without any reaction is, is very odd. And say, it, 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 you know, there's no ability for a, for for an audience to to react and to to show, you know, for, and for then observers to gauge how the party is feeling. Um, and that that and just that, yeah, the the, the lack of the physical conference has just. You know, ro robbed journalists of the opportunity to take the temperature of the party and just get a sense of you know where things are. I mean, I um, you know people have kind of historically thought of the Conservative Party as you know very old and fuddy-duddy. And actually, one of the things you know, I've noted talking to, to journalists over recent years is their sense of surprise when they attend the Conservative Party conference at how many young people are actually there. Mm. Uh, and actually, you know, there, there generally has been quite a, a youthful feel to it in in recent years. And and just you know, and the, the the opportunity for you know those you know those fringe meetings where you know you will get interventions you know from from left side that you know suddenly become a news story you know we, that just obviously hasn't happened this year mm. uh, no which and there's no opportunity as well for Boris Johnson to upstage the uh, the leader's speech well partly because he is the leader now but there's no sense in which he can you know in a physical place he would come and he would make an appearance and be mobbed by activists and he would destroy all the, the good headlines that David Cameron... Yeah, I mean, obviously this year is an exception. Mm. So, 
I mean, I think what you said before was, you know, how it more normally is that, like, if we say now, who who is the next leader of the Conservative Party, or who is who's going to be the leader in 10 years' time? And it's exactly at conference that some MP that you've never heard of is suddenly wowing everybody. And again, I agree, it's a great opportunity for, you know, other MPs to sort of get up and wow everybody. And I think that's a great... I think mean, you're right to say it's a great opportunity for MPs to appeal to activists and say, I'm here and I'm good and please follow me. But it's also, I guess, a huge opportunity to make mistakes. You know, you think of the, uh, the 2017 Theresa May's conference speech where almost everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. I mean, do you think that's bad for the party that these, these things could happen? Or do you no, because, I mean, you know, exactly the party's a great opportunity to sort of just put aside the stage managing and the PR and all that carefully managed stuff. And at the end of the day, you know, we want MPs that are actually real people with good ideas. Mm. So, you know, that, that was actually a good thing to happen, to be to, revealed. Theresa May's conference Yeah, speech. to say, look, come on, Conservatives. We can't do this. We can't run a party like this, where we sort of stage manage a persona. Mm. We have to have real people up there who are highly intelligent, understand policy, can connect to people, and can run a country. Mm. And, you know, I guess the conference exposes who can and who can't do that. Mm. Jonathan, your experience going to uh, other conferences, you've been to Labour Conference and UKIP and Lib the Lib Dems, yeah. what, you know, is there anything distinct about the Conservative Party Conference? I, mean, I, I suppose I always found Conservative Conference the most fun, and I think you know, the Conservative Party does know how to party, frankly. Um, the Lib Dem, you know, there were a number of years where I went to all three conferences, Lib Dem, Labour, Tory, in that order. Um, and the Lib Dems was always kind of a, a bit of a warm-up, uh, you know, because there, there is a community of you know, people in journalism and think tanks, uh, you know, in, in public affairs who will go to all three. And yeah, so Lib Dems was always a, a, a bit of a warm-up for the conference season. Um, the Lib Dems, say, because it's a serious policy-making conference, it, they, it, it's a very earnest gathering in that sense. Uh, and then the, the Labour conference, uh, was was then the middle week, um, and then the you know the, you know have the have the Tories at at, at the end. You see, the nature of the Labour Party conference changed over the years. In the Blair era, you'd have the corporate exhibition full of you know corporate stands, you know people, you know, companies that are paid you know five figure sums to you know be there and advertise their wares. Whereas you know, in the Corbyn era, it almost had the feeling of a kind of freshers fair at a left-wing university, rather than uh, the traditional Labour Party conference. Then, of course, you know those 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 business stands bring in money, and I mean, arguably, you know, some say the only reason the Conservative Party have continued holding their annual conference is that it's a reason it makes money. You know, they make money from from selling all those corporate stands uh, and from the exhibition space and so on. Um, which obviously this year they, they haven't been able to do, even though I, I think they were trying to persuade businesses to pay a lot of money to have a virtual stand. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not quite sure how successful that But don't you see was. that that's contributing to the sort of aridity of our um, sort of national politics, that so few people are engaged? I mean, if you're saying even the Conservatives sort of considered not, you know, only holding the conference as a sort of money-making exercise, and yet... As well, a like the, the, the comparison I make, I suppose, is the fact that the Conservative Party technically do have 
a spring conference. They call it the Spring Forum, mm. which they don't make any money on. And in recent years, they've made it as small as possible. Um, they've usually held it in London or a, a, a or, or a town in the southeast near London. What's it and, even for? And it, and it lasts an afternoon, and it's What's basically it for? an opportunity for the prime minister to mm. speak for twenty minutes to mm. you know party members who are generally association chairmen. They, they yeah. didn't even seem to be a sense in recent years of trying to open it out to a. Uh, a particularly large well you know base. i just think for for our democracy you know we absolutely need a way of re-engaging um i think you must know was it how many 20 30 years ago you know the conservative party the labor party were mass membership organizations well, and the labor, now the they're labor, just not well the labor party yeah. is i mean that mm. you know whatever people think about jeremy corbyn you know he did bring mm. in you know, several hundred thousand new members to the Labour Party. No, whether they will stay there now that he's no longer the leader remains to be seen. Um, but in terms of pure, you know, people paying a subscription to a to a party, Labour did have a massive resurgence under Corbyn. The the Conservative Party has, I mean, I remember when William Hague um, inherited the leadership back in the late nineties. And the, the membership was supposedly about 400,000. And he set an ambition of having a million members for the mm. millennium. Well, mm. I'm afraid, well, one thing is they realised that half their members were double counted because they were members in two different places and double counted. And then you know, over time, you know, membership fell. I think it has gone up a little bit in, in recent years, but you know, absolutely all right. You know, the, the, the days of a mass membership are, uh, are over. Um, which again, you know, creates a debate about how local parties and local MPs or candidates then function. Whether they whether they have to build up their own body of supporters, kind of separate from a party membership. Well, or, I can or, tell you that they struggle to function. You know, um, <laughs> struggle to find people to come out and talk on doorsteps and hand out leaflets and. Uh, you know, I just see disengagement in the democratic process. And that's not healthy. And it's because this is about the conference, the conference is a great way, I think, a great opportunity to re-excite people, to tell people there's something really fun to attend. And um, the Conservatives should try and re-energize the conference as a fun event, an element of involvement in policy, and something that people should come to. Mm. Uh, and a final question for you both before we run out of time. Did either of you uh, watch or listen to any of the uh, virtual uh, conference events? Yes, I, mean, I, I, I sat down and watched the Boris Johnson speech live on YouTube uh, yesterday as we're speaking, um, which, you know, it, it just, you know, it was bereft of atmosphere, obviously, because it was him going, speaking straight to the bow of a camera, trying to give a, a speech that would rouse the masses when there were no physical masses to rouse. You, you weren't logged into the actual conference, were you? Were you just watching it on, you streaming it on YouTube? Yeah, I streamed it on YouTube, yeah. Because they actually, they, they did a fake, in the actual conference, if you logged in, they did a fake kind of spectator, this fake auditorium with fake people watching, and it just looked a bit a, quite odd, and obviously nobody moved in front of you. Regrettably, I missed that. No, see, uh, did, you, uh, did you, Caroline, did you well, watch any of the... So my husband, who's also a conservative, was watching a session and he just called me over to have a look and there were nine people watching. And I mean, honestly, I think it's completely understandable. I just think 
it was what it was and we we moved forward hmm. um, so no i didn't watch anything else after that i just thought the whole <laughs> thing was tragic but you know we move forward mm. and we look forward to a fantastically fun conference next year well caroline and jonathan thank you very much for joining me on the critic podcast if you've enjoyed listening to the critic podcast why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door subscribe today with the offer of three issues for just five pounds by heading to our website www.thecritic.co.uk Thank you.